Welcome to All Fired Up. I'm Louise, your host, and this is the podcast where we talk all things anti-diet. Has diet culture got you in a fit of rage? Is the injustice of the beauty ideal getting your knickers in a twist? Does Fitspo make you want a Spitspo? Are you ready to hurl if you hear one more weight loss tip? Are you ready to be mad, loud, and proud? Well, you've come to the right place. Let's get all fired up. Oh my gosh, we're back all fired up and rage-filled for another action-packed episode of All Fired Up. Welcome back and thank you so much for continuing to listen to this ranty rage that I'm spreading. I really love getting everybody's emails and messages and stories about stuff that they're experiencing and how they're pushing back from diet culture. It's so awesome. So please keep it coming. And of course, if something is really pissing you off, let me know about it. Send an email to louise at untrapped.com.au. Tell me what's getting up your nose and let's see if we can bring it on to the podcast and have a really good rave about it. And of course, if you're loving All Fired Up, please don't miss a single episode. Make sure you're subscribed so as soon as they come out, you'll be able to listen. And if you love it and want to spread the love even further, please do a really nice rating and review so that more people can find us and hear this message and get fired up themselves and then we can topple diet culture. So before we get started today, I just want to plug some free stuff for you all. If you're looking for a resource that is absolutely free of charge and gives you a whole lot of information about this anti-diet approach and why it's necessary, why not go to my free ebook, which is called Everything You've Been Told About Weight Loss Is Bullshit. I wrote it alongside the incredible Fiona Willer, who is a fierce anti-diet dietitian and weight science unpacker from way back. In this ebook, we are going through all of the main myths that are floating around in diet culture about body weight and about health, and we're busting them. And it is so full of information and resources and references. So I guess the ebook is the scientific reference behind everything that we talk about here on All Fired Up. So if you want to hear more about this stuff, learn more about it and why the science is so robust go get the ebook. It's completely free, as I've said. Download it and share it with as many people as possible because the more we dig underneath the just the diet culture rhetoric, the more fascinating the relationship between especially weight and health is and the more we can really bust open all of the weight stigma that's impacting far too many of us in our culture today. Not so free stuff, but pretty cheap, is the Befriending Your Body course, which I've just released. So if you're struggling with learning how to, I guess, let go of diet culture, but are trying to kind of accept your body, but it's difficult in diet culture or struggling to let go of all of this messaging that we've been pummeled with since birth, practically, this is the course that might be good for you. Befriending Your Body is basically a 10-day intensive email course where I send you an email every day and it has a different self-compassion meditation in it each day. And they're designed to help you feel more at peace with your body and try to get back into your body because diet culture, of course, disconnects us from our body and makes makes a kind of relationship of rules. And Befriending Your Body is about getting back into your body inhabiting your body from a sense of peace and it's kind of incredible stuff so the befriending your body course is really cheap it's less than 50 bucks and you can find it through my instagram account so if you go to untrapped underscore au and just click on the link in the bio you'll find a link there to befriending your body and it's a really nice gateway i guess to learning about all things non-diet But if you're ready for something bigger, then you could consider joining us at the Untrapped Masterclass, which is a three-month intensive online program for people who are sick of dieting and want a better life for themselves. We've been running Untrapped now for over a year. And I have to say the changes that I'm seeing in the people in the community are pretty phenomenal, like much bigger than you would anticipate. It's when you get into this stuff, it's much bigger than simply healing relationship with food even or healing relationship with exercise or body. It's actually about expansion. It's about becoming who you genuinely want to be. And what I'm seeing in the Untrapped Masterclass is people stepping outside the diet culture induced boundaries and coming home to themselves and kind of becoming fierce. And I love, 
I love this process. So if you are looking for something like that, consider joining us at the Untrapped Masterclass, which you can find at untrapped.com.au. And of course, we're grateful to Untrapped because they are, well, I am the sponsor of this awesome podcast called All Fired Up. So today I have this incredible episode too, which to be honest, I'm almost speechless that this is happening, but no shit in New Zealand, scientists are running a experiment in which they are feeding shit from thin people to big people. And yes, you heard me correctly. So I have been contacted by my guest this week, who is Jessica Matheson. She's actually a nutritionist and she's also a medical intern. So she's studying for her medical degree and she's good friends with Sarah Peck, who was our guest from last week, who was all fired up about pedometers. They do a lot of work together in New Zealand, pushing back against diet culture messaging. And to be honest, thank gosh, because New Zealand really, really needs it. So this experiment's running in New Zealand where they're literally feeding shit pills to large people and they've done a bloody documentary on it. So this documentary is running in New Zealand. Jess contacted me like livid about this, rightly so, and we had to have a conversation and unpack it a little bit more. So you're not going to believe this shit, but it really is happening. And I do apologize because this episode is full of shit. It really is full of lots of swear words. So if that offends you, this might not be the best episode for you, but there really isn't any other way of saying what a shit experiment this is and what a shit state of the world we're in when experiments like this are okay, because it's just not. But anyway, it's a fascinating conversation. So without further ado, I'll let you go and listen to me and Jess. So Jessica, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thanks for having me, Louise. And what's getting you all fired up? Well, we are so unwilling to accept size diversity that we're now asking our young people to take shit pills here in New Zealand to cure them of their fatness. Oh my God. What is going on in New Zealand, I tell you, at the moment? (laughs) We've got a documentary going called The Good Shit and it's been airing here for the last two weeks on Tuesday evenings. And it's following a bit of a research trial up at the Liggins Institute where they're trialing oral fecal transplants in folks living in larger bodies. I don't know what to say. Like, so, <laughs> so what you're saying is that there's a documentary called The Good Shit mm-hmm. and it's documenting a research trial where people are taking pills full of other people's poo. Oh, yeah. To make them thin. Mm-hmm. Well, that's the goal. That's the hope. Bloody hell. Oh, yeah. I think it's anything but the good shit, having looked at how they process it and uh, also how we're following along and and seeing some of the struggles of our participants. So we're following four of 80 along as they go and I think up to the six-month mark. So we're only two episodes in, got limited data to go off at this point. Yeah, there's been a, a few alarming messages, I think, put across in this documentary that we mm-hmm. definitely need to talk about. Yeah, well, I've actually had, interestingly, quite a few emails from people in New Zealand just saying a really shit show has just started <laughs> here in New Zealand <laughs> and we need to talk about it. And I really tried to watch it, but unfortunately it's only being broadcast in New Zealand, so I haven't been able to watch it. But I've um, jumped online and read stuff in the media that's been written about it. Not that there's, like, a lot, to be honest. So I'm kind of relying on on you with the inside story on the good shit to let us know what's happening. Yeah, I'm happy to do that. Happy to be here. Happy yeah. to have this conversation. It's one we need to have. So it's at a legit university. This is the Liggins Institute, which is in Auckland. It's part of a university. Is that correct? Yep. Yeah, it's part of the University of Auckland. Um, and it's one of their research um, groups. Yeah. And this institute is all about sort of quote unquote health and wellness and exploring ways to improve health outcomes mm-hmm. over there in New Zealand. And this gut microbiome research is really emphasized, I guess, in their institute. Yeah, absolutely. That's certainly one of the focuses of their um, research threads. But I think it also speaks to a wider issue where we have got some of the top research institutes in you know the country and certainly in the world who remain unwilling to recognize the impact of stigma, social aspects of health and ethical aspects of 
health as well on research. Mm, yeah. yeah. Well, see, you're right. Sadly, like like on the website, you can just clearly see a very unquestioning weight bias and a framework of quote unquote obesity as an epidemic and a health problem that must be targeted. So yeah, and absolutely nowhere in anything I've read so far does any of this research talk about weight no. stigma <laughs> no. at all. It's, it's all this framework of anyone in a larger body is absolutely unhealthy and thin people are healthy and so what can the fat people learn from the thin people's microbiome yes yeah <laughs> we'll take it one step further and you know if we can feed the shit of a thin person to a larger person are we going to have the i think it was put the 64 million dollar answer to the obesity epidemic oh my god <laughs> again it's just one of those narratives that's really pervasive in biomedicine and it's just based on and what's quite disconcerting is it's based on inconclusive evidence it's quite yeah there's a big jump from animal models here into clinical applications and these sorts of narratives are really continuing to dominate the discourse in media and it's I think it's really gets blown up to be the solution and it certainly has been a documentary yeah, well, I mean, with all of the hype of the so-called obesity epidemic, it does seem to create an environment in which really full-on, invasive, unproven and you know, untested interventions seem to be okay, yep. which doesn't happen in other aspects of medicine unless some people are going to die. Yeah, or with little consideration, I think, for actually what is the message that this sort of treatment or intervention actually sends to what's the larger message that this is sending out into society and to mm-hmm. people who are you know living in bodies that we are continuing to stigmatize mm-hmm. by putting this shit on tv and pursuing Literally. this as yeah pursuing <laughs> this as an option rather than just taking a step back and thinking what are we not talking about what are we not thinking about in these conversations and i'll bring it back every time to we're forgetting to look at the social determinants of health yeah, yeah yeah so you mean that somebody's body size isn't simply because of their individual choices of eating a terrible no. diet no and we know this but we continue to ignore this and I think as long as we continue to ignore this as well in research and you know what we pursue as priorities in research then yeah we continue to work in a very exclusionary and stigmatizing um, fashion it's so mm-hmm. sad we know that our socioeconomic status has a huge impact on how much our bodies are going to weigh. And that's especially true over there in New Zealand. There's a huge relationship. And I'm guessing that this is not discussed in this documentary. No, it's certainly not explored. And again, the research has, you know, this paper hasn't been published, so I can't really speak to that. But in terms of what has been put there out there on the in the documentary, no, absolutely not. Mm-hmm. So sad. Besides besides perhaps stigmatizing the elements that we should really be discussing. So one of the participants, you know, she discusses that they rely on eating um, takeaways four to five times a week because there are time constraints, financial constraints, energy constraints on being able to get together as a family and prepare meals. And Conversely, we're looking at our, you know, our ship donors, who they refer to as super donors in this this doco. You mean the you know, people who are donating over, shit? Yeah, they're super donors, and super then we donors. flip over to look at what their <laughs> their diets are. Yeah, and then we've got the ship donors. They are referred to as our super donors in this documentary. And to me, that really uh, speaks of thin privilege has now become ship privilege. Um, <laughs> You know, like we're sailing pretty close to the wind here and, and setting up a whole, a whole new way to look at health and a whole new way to stigmatise folks based on what's inside their gut. Mm. Oh, my gosh. So the shit donors are called super donors because yeah. they're super people with superpowers of shit that they can bestow upon the unfortunate recipient of their shit. It's I can't actually believe this is a thing. I am struggling so much, as you say, so much privilege, like thin privilege becomes shit privilege. (laughs) Perfect. There was an interesting process as well of finding suitable donors. So you had to be within a, a, you know, a normal 
quote unquote BMI to be considered or invited in to I think then undergo a DEXA scan and you needed to have a body fatness of less than 30%. And it was it was quite interesting watching the reactions of those participants who sort of put themselves forward to be these shit super donors mm-hmm. be told, no, actually you don't you don't meet the criteria, you're not good enough, your body fatness was too high on the DEXA scan. Mm. Yeah, there was a few interesting reactions, certainly. And then, you know, when we look to actually who was being selected as a shit donor or a super donor, I'm not sure if there was any screening around eating disorders or exercise pathology. Oh, but there certainly were a few red flags uh, coming up when I was <laughs> listening to how they, you know, some of the behaviors of our, our super donor. Certainly. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Well, that, I mean, it is really difficult to detect, isn't it? Because what we might perceive as disordered eating behaviors or obsessive exercise behaviors is quite often seen in diet culture as a good thing and, you know, a healthy lifestyle. So yeah, it's interesting that your radar went up on that. And I'll be interested to see in the paper if they did screen for mental health issues, uh, particularly eating disorders, because as you know, fecal transfers mean that you're transferring a microbiome into another human and there's connections to the brain. So who knows if this won't spark off the same kind of things in that other person. Yeah, no, and this is actually something that I've seen in the literature. There are huge gaps in terms of how safe is this procedure and what exactly can we potentially be transferring between donor and recipient? And yes, you're right. We do know that our gut microbiome hugely influences mood through, again, via the, you know, our central nervous system. And so we have to think really long and hard about whether there is the potential there for us to be transferring things like anxiety, depression, mood disorders, which are common comorbidities that we know they're common comorbidities in folks who are, again, you know, affected by uh, eating disorder. Mm. And they are, again, a population we're likely to sample more heavily from as our super donor. <laughs> With the quote-unquote ideal body fat percentages. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's really, really disturbing because, I mean, quite honestly, all we have with this gut transfer stuff is animal studies. So studies on mice in which, you know, in the early 2000s, they found that that mice who were raised in sterile environments, so they didn't have a gut microbiome, when they got injected with larger mice microbiomes, they got larger. When they got injected with smaller mice microbiomes, they got smaller. So that's what we know that happens in mice but we have absolutely no idea what's going to happen in humans. And it's sort of staggering for to think, okay, I understand that research will be conducted from stuff like that in mice, and I understand that will be human research because that's the next step. But to put it on TV in a documentary style before any kind of research that has been published on humans seems to me gobsmacking and also the the four participants that we're talking about they're teenage girls they're not even grown up they're teenagers Mm. we're really kind of in uncharted territory and we're using as guinea pigs larger teenage girls and that just breaks my heart absolutely Mm. and I think this actually this kind of threads nicely into the ideas around informed consent and yeah, we have to recognise that there is some degree of, you know, either physical, um, psychological or social risk in conducting research, right? But yeah. we have a responsibility to get the benefits and the risks balanced yeah. out and to be able to adequately inform a participant about what those risks may be. The issue we have with microbiome research is that it's, and particularly when we're looking at the clinical applications of it, so things like providing people with shit pills to take, it's almost impossible for us to give, I think, full informed consent because we actually don't understand the risks. I mean, we don't really understand it, the microbiome fully anyway. We just don't have the answers. So I don't know how adequately we can inform folks of the risks. Yeah, it would be interesting to get that consent form. Mm. Mm. Absolutely. 
The other question is, I wonder if there was any psychological support or input, you know, along the way here, because there were some pretty distressing responses at week two to the progress in terms of all of the girls had gained weight. Three of the four had gained body fatness, independent of the increased weight. And, you know, the responses were from the team oh you know unfortunately you've gained weight oh this is disappointing I'm sure this is disappointing for you comments you know well we wouldn't know if we hadn't given you this treatment whether or not you'd have gained more fat than you did so they were trying to spin it positively Um, blame it on them yeah (laughs) and like of course it's a good intervention because we actually don't know we're just going to pretend that you definitely would have been worse off without this Yes, you know, and it doesn't mean you haven't had any benefits yet. It could just be that your metabolism needs to change first and we might see some, you know, longer-term changes if you keep up the lifestyle. Even though at the beginning of this intervention, they were advised to keep doing what they were generally doing, eating and activity-wise, not to make any big changes. Most of these girls sort of talked about they'd become more aware of their bodies than ever before as the narrator shared. So there was, you know, significantly more body awareness. They were monitoring what they were eating. One of the girls said that, of course, she was subconsciously aware that she might be on the treatment, so she wanted to help it out as best she could. Mm. One of the girls engaged in more physical activity. She took up Zumba twice a week and then and also box fit or, or crossfit, so some weight-bearing activity there. And yeah. I... Quite a significant dietary pattern change for one of the participants too. So her auntie was over visiting and they were eating a lot more fruit and vegetables mm. than she would have previously been. Mm. Yeah, it's so interesting, isn't it? Because we rarely get to see that aspect of clinical trials, but mm. it happens in every single clinical trial. If you're in a weight loss trial, you want to please the investigators. You want them to get the outcome that they've invested all of this in and imagine the added pressure of being on a documentary yeah of course so these girls although they were told first up don't make any changes are making changes and then are you saying they were given a healthy eating thing what what was that (laughs) so I think in one take one of the participants asked the pediatrician do I need to change my diet and he said no keep it reasonably the same but then handed her the Ministry of Health sort of guidelines the 10 steps for healthy eating. <laughs> so right. don't, don't change anything. Here's a pamphlet on how to change. Yeah. So <laughs> sort of, I was getting mixed messages, so I'm not sure, you know, how our participants were feeling. You know, do I or don't I make these changes? But yes, you're right. Any, you know, the moment someone's involved in a diet study or a, an intervention like this, you want to please um, the investigators. Mm-hmm. And you want to give it the best that you can. And so behavior change is something that I think I'd be interested to see how they've controlled for it. Yeah, I hope there's a control group that's happening in this study as well. It doesn't actually say anywhere that I can find if it is, but that could help. But it is a double-blinded trial, which means that there's a treatment group, which means they're getting the active shit, and there's a placebo group, so they're getting (laughs) inactive shit. (laughs) Yeah, they're getting a saline. Oh, my God. So it is possible. We don't know if these girls in the documentary are getting the active or the placebo pill. That won't happen, uh, won't be known until the end of the experiment. But I think it is really incredibly wildly optimistic to hypothesise that taking a shit pill from a thin person will dramatically change your body weight in as a human because we are very different from mice and you know in weight science in 70 years we have been here time and time again when we when we transfer the stuff we find out from mice and we hop it into what happens to humans it's completely different shit is you know hot shit at the moment but in the late 90s and around the turn of the century it was all about leptin and how, you know, leptin was the big key for busting open obesity treatments. And because they found the same thing, they found that when they injected leptin into rats, that they all got thin. And this just really excited most of the weight science community. And actually, a, um, a drug company paid $20 million 
(laughs) (laughs) And that's before they even did any human trials. But when they did the human trials, they just found that everybody got itchy and no one lost weight. So, And I think I can't remember who on the documentary said this, but this is, you know, the $64 million answer. Oh. Yeah, Yeah, I don't think so. I think there's a, yeah, potentially one way this is going and it's going down the toilet. (laughs) We haven't spoken about the opening credits. Oh, okay, yes. Tell us, because I haven't been able to see it, so tell us what the opening credits are. So it's this little infographic, and this just, I mean, I almost had to push pause and just walk away. I thought it took me a day to mentally prepare to sit down to watch this and to sit for the first 30 seconds and go, I think I might be out. So it's a thin person sat on a toilet taking a shit. It goes down a pipe. Oh, my God. Into a pill that then goes into a larger person at the end of a conveyor belt who's holding a soft drink and they pop the pill, they drop the drink and they drop a dress size. Oh, it went literally from a toilet bowl down a pipe to, you know, just everything about it just reeked of shame, stigma, just stereotypes. Yeah. So stereotypical. Yeah. No, I just get really unhappy with the way that the uh, program starts. And it really does speak to the narrative and the discourse that it contained, really. It set the tone. We've got a lot of work to do. I can't believe we're really, (laughs) like, in an age where that is okay. That is awful. I mean, it, it completely oversimplifies everything but just the, the level of hatred towards larger people that is behind all of that absolutely is, is staggering. I'd definitely like to see more pushback in terms of, you know, this is an unacceptable depiction and this is an unacceptable message that we are allowing into mainstream media. It is, mm. and it speaks to the fact that weight discrimination remains one of the most socially acceptable and one of the last standing forms of socially acceptable discrimination and the most pervasive. Mm. The idea of there's a socially acceptable discrimination <laughs> is this hard. <laughs> but, yeah. yeah. Especially when you, work, when you work in it, right? Yeah. 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 It's dreadful. But yeah, I mean, really people should be up in arms about an image like that, but it's not, you know, it's not being called out. I mean, I'm glad people like you are in New Zealand. It's a small country. <laughs> but to have that kind of acceptance of this as okay is just really sad. And I'm imagining those four teenage girls who are being filmed in this, at what the impact on, on them must be. Yeah. And what it will cost as well, our participants, that we're sort of somewhat... I don't want to say voyeuristically following along, but, you know, it's, what does that cost them emotionally and psychologically? Mm. See that, you know, one of those girls is really struggling with her mental health and, and she sort of states that her mental health will improve if she loses weight. Oh. And that's a, that's a belief that she holds very strongly. When they don't, you know, when they get this news at six weeks that, they haven't lost the weight that was expected. One of the girls said that this attempt at weight loss has felt harder than any other attempt she's made. And she, you know, she's quite emotional. She's upset and, you know, she promises to stick at it at the gym to, and to change her eating behaviour and to eat less. Oh. She takes on the failure of this intervention. They take on the failure of the intervention and they internalise it and it's, it's coming out and they must try harder. And none of these scientists are picking up on it. No one's no, no one's talking about it. Mm-mm. No one's talking about it. Like you're taking part, you are, you know, a blind guinea pig in uncharted territory. You know, this is not your responsibility. And also, you know, you, you can't you don't have to become smaller to get happier. You don't have to become smaller to get healthier. You know, in fact, the pursuit of trying to get smaller before like this, this belief that unless I change my body, I can't be okay, that's the problem. Yeah. And this bullshit on TV reads <laughs> that as the dominant opinion and that that's what we must do. We must pursue thinness at all costs, that there is an expectation that if you are living in a larger body, you must demonstrate that you are making an attempt to change that. 
Yeah, you have to be willing to do anything, including eating shit, to please diet culture. Yep. So, so weird. So I, I need to ask you, mm-hmm. uh, I have this fascination, like how do they make the shit pills? Okay, so <laughs> this, this was definitely covered in the documentary in quite great detail and I <laughs> I received some uh, pre-warning text messages from, so I worked with Sarah Peck and she's just dry retching, watching. She goes, oh, watch it on with a strong stomach. So I thought, okay, okay, well, our super donors, our shit donors, literally poo into a paper plate. It is then passed to the research lab technician, or the she's a PhD candidate. Oh. And she has the task of they mix the fresh feces with, I think, saline, but I've read in, in other areas they can mix it with milk as well. Um, oh. <laughs> into a like a runny paste mush. And then it's strained, so it's through like a material that kind of looks like a coffee filter. Ew. And then she takes a syringe, so she so it's not treated or anything, it's just fresh shit, takes oh. a syringe and pops that into capsules, and then it's frozen. And it's taken, the girls have to take the pills frozen, so it's not a liquid poo. One of the main concerns that this research team had, you know, wasn't that actually we don't really know all that much about the fee- the microbiome we're putting into these participants, but they might actually have fatty burps. Oh, get out. Really? <laughs> that was one of their biggest concerns is how do we prevent fatty burps? Because the girls might not want to take the pills if we give them fatty burps. And I thought, I think we've got bigger things to be worrying about here. That is not your biggest concern. <laughs> it's just not your biggest concern. And um, like putting shit into a human body without knowing what on earth is going to happen. Yeah, that should be the biggest worry. And, again, it's just this kind of disregard for risk if someone's in a larger body that infuriates me. Yeah, and I'll bring this back to informed consent. It comes back to the fact that we have to think about vulnerability and we have to think about the desperation that folks who are constantly dealing with either explicit, implicit, internalised stigma they are dealing with this unrelenting expectation to change, even though we have no efficacious way of actually mm. change about. And then we are asking them to make a decision, a quite a big healthcare decision, and we're not able to give them the risks clearly. You know, we have to look at, is this informed consent? No, yeah, no, this is coerced consent in diet culture. There's certainly an increased susceptibility to deception and inducement from these overhyped claims of therapeutic effects, especially in when we're talking about fecal microbiome transplants. You know, they get very easily overhyped in the research, but also in the media. Yes. Yeah. Well, there's a, an interesting article that I'll link to in the show notes that's talking about how concerned some of the biomedical researchers are about how this is really being romanticized and overhyped. Mm-hmm. And they're emphasising the reality that the research is really in its infancy and also just how much tweaking the gut microbiome really will change body weight is overhyped as well. Yep, and a lot of what we're reading as well is, you know, anecdotal or case studies or... So faecal microbiome transplants are used in um, C. diff infections, so people who perhaps haven't responded to antibiotic treatment and are in a position where this is a viable option. It's 90% successful in that therapeutic setting. It still doesn't negate the risks associated with it, but you know some might argue that the benefits there will outweigh the risk. But we have to recognise that a lot of what is coming out is anecdotal evidence based on the fact that we've been using faecal microbiome transplants in C. diff and they've gone, oh, observationally, it's helped with some ulcerative colitis or, you know, observationally, uh, it's, you know, actually there was, there's a report that's going around where one woman received a faecal microbiome transplant from her daughter who lives in a larger body. And this woman presented 12, 18 months later with um, weight gain. and so. You know, now they're saying, well, actually, it could go, the direction could, you know, they, they, the arrows go both ways in terms of body size. Yeah. 
It, it might, but, you know, also if that lady has gotten better from whatever was ailing her, she's like just eating. <laughs> Maybe she's no longer shitting six times a day from a, <laughs> yeah. you know, a gastrointestinal disorder. That's right. Maybe weight gain isn't always bad. <laughs> yeah, we have to keep that in mind when we're reading around that the research. And a lot of it, again, it comes back to the fact a lot of it's case studies, a lot of it's anecdotal. Mm, yeah it's a really in its infancy it's it's fascinating stuff and I think it probably does have applications in a number of areas but talk about jumping the gun and premature and just very exploitive a vulnerable population and oh so many so bad it definitely feels exploitive watching the documentary listening to the language used yeah, it just, it feels really exploitive. It feels, and it also feels very much like we're now framing bacteria, gut bacteria as good bacteria and bad bacteria. I mean, the narrator, she uses the words fast food starves good bacteria and junk food will make bad bacteria thrive. And so it was around one of the participants, you know, it, they were focusing a lot on what she was eating. They were following her around a market and looking at the food choices she was making, like a night food market. Yeah. And then one of the, you know, one of the comments from the narrator was that bad bacteria will affect her chances of losing weight. Your chances of losing weight are slim with a gut full of bad bacteria. So we're really starting to go down the path now of... It's your bacteria's fault. Yeah. <laughs> Based on bacteria. Yeah. So we're, we're going from like good food, bad food to good bacteria, bad bacteria, and it's back to being your fault. Yeah. Yeah. Even though, you know, a lot of the gut microbiome research seems to indicate that the vast majority of the microbiome is pretty, is sturdy and, you know, doesn't shift all that much. And also the fact that you know, our gut microbiome is populated by our environmental interactions. And so there's a possibility there that has to do very, it's very much to do with our living uh, situation and our living arrangements. And it comes back to our social determinants of health may very well influence our gut bacteria. Yeah. Yeah. It'll be fascinating to see some research moving forward on the impact of weight stigma and discrimination on expression of gut microbiomes and bacteria and stuff like that because we are an organism and gosh the information that's coming out on the impact of weight stigma on health is compelling and the more we find out the more we realize that it it has a physical impact and why on earth would that exclude the gut absolutely that's that'd be a very interesting line of uh, research i'd say yeah, we, we can't judge the bacteria. <laughs> we, we just can't. But we just love a bit of dichotomous thinking, don't we, as humans. It's just, we're just, we're compelled to do it. I don't know, the, especially in the biomedical sciences. Yeah, we, we love to categorise, don't we? It's like good BMI and bad BMI, healthy weight, unhealthy weight, good bacteria, bad bacteria. Like in the microbiome, they talk about diversity a lot, don't they? Like the, the more diverse your inner, your gut, the better health indicators, whereas less diverse microbiomes are less healthy. So, God, it's, it's exhausting trying to keep up with all of these demands. Well, it's funny you bring up diversity. James, Sarah, and I were having a bit of a chat after, a bit of a debrief after watching one of these episodes. And what really struck us was, you know, these researchers were so keen on talking about gut microflora and the biodiversity and, you know, they're really happy to throw the diversity word around but absolutely can't make that dot to dot connection to size diversity and body <laughs> you know, actually we, yeah yeah we really need your dot to dot book <laughs> I think we have about you know six editions based just on what's happened in the last few months I think poor <laughs> on New Zealand so it's kind of like they're saying like diversity is okay as long as it's inside your gut and diversity is okay as long as that translates to everyone on the outside looking exactly the same. Yeah. How ironic. Complete disconnect. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's unbelievable. Absolutely unbelievable. <laughs> and actually, you know, this, I wonder as well, and I'm really looking forward to reading the research paper, how have they taken into account and how have they considered cultural diversity in microbiome? 
because they were speaking about a, a tribe, an African tribe, that they have the greatest biodiversity in their gut microbiome in the world. And so we do know that different cultures and different ethnicities, based on you know either where you're from or or who you live with, you'll have a different microbiome. And so you know we've got girls here on the documentary who are you know, Caucasian, and also we have a Pacifica participant. How might their microbiome naturally have differed? And are we actually putting one population at risk and not considering this? Mm, that's so interesting because we really don't know enough. Again, we really don't know what the, what on earth we're doing. And what ethnicity and socioeconomic status are the so-called super, what are they called? Super donors or shit donors? Yeah, so we haven't spent a whole, a great deal of time with shit donors, but I'm willing to make some assumptions based on what is put across in the documentary and that these are women or girls of a high socioeconomic status based on, you know, what they're eating and also the fact that they're engaging in higher levels of physical activity as well. So yeah, I think we're looking here at a bit of a disconnect between our socioeconomic status um, between the two groups. Mm, It's just staggering. (laughs) It's so problematic and yet it's just being treated quite airily by the sound of it. Like this is really interesting and let's just see what happens and let's just not think about things too deeply. Yeah, it's just a bit of Tuesday night TV funnel. The folks in, you know, at home just to sit and internalise a little bit more of that fat phobia and, and to carry that on into the day. Yeah, let's keep those stereotypes going that, yeah, it's down to individual choice that these people are bigger. If they eat shit from thin people, everything's going to be okay. (laughs) And if the experiment's going badly, then that's also the participant's fault. Because you're not adhering to the lifestyle changes that you should be making that we told you not to make. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, we also actually haven't touched on adverse effects or Mm -hmm. adverse outcomes. Really interesting that two of the girls came for their, so they took the pills over two days at the beginning. And so two of the girls came back on the second day reporting that they had diarrhea and all of those things. And it was kind of put down to, you know, oh, was it the bowel prep? So they had to take a bowel prep to totally clear out the gut. So similar to what you take if you're going along for a colonoscopy. Oh, man, that's hideous. Yeah, so the, the girls, did they did bowel prep. And surely this would be a question you would have asked before, you know, giving the intervention, how's the bowel prep gone? Has everything, you know, worked? Has it moved through? So I'm not sure what's gone on here. So the two girls came back with diarrhea and it was sort of, it was really interesting to see how the research team spun this because one, it was like, have we given them an infection? And, you know, they're like, oh, very unlikely that we've given them an infection. It would, you know, there'd be a long sort of, Prodromal period before you know it would flare up. Well, I'm not sure because we've just given them quite a high dose of gut bacteria. Someone else's food. They just swallowed someone else's poo. That's just ew. (laughs) Yeah. So, and then you know, it's sort of like, oh, is it actually a positive? They're trying to spin it positively. Oh, well, maybe you know, it's the new gut bacteria assimilating into their gut and it's just a a normal reaction and I thought why don't or the other option is oh the bowel prep's only just happening and then Mm -hmm. they're sort of like oh well in which case that's a bit of a issue because we've just given them this fecal transplant which is probably just washed through as well and so I thought why actually can't we take ownership of the fact this is an adverse outcome or this is an unexpected outcome and it's one in which you know we need to be really looking at and going this is a side effect and owning that rather than putting a positive spin on it. Yeah. Or trying to explain it away. Yeah. Just like this weight gain and body fat percent going up, you know, trying to explain it away as, oh, your metabolism might be changing and let's keep going. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. This lack of effect must just be, you know, the effect must just be about to happen. Yeah. That's really scary to see that level of bias. You know, bias just means being unwilling to look at the data and listen to it. Yeah. And always, yeah, push away from, you know, whether this is actually a negative and go, oh, how can we spin this positively just to keep it going? Because I think one of the comments from the narrator was, 
it was around this diarrhea wasn't a severe enough adverse outcome to stop the trial. So I'd also be really interested to know what they defined as adverse enough. You know, how bad does it need to get before they would stop? Uh, Yeah, right. Well, I mean, in the history of weight science interventions, shitting yourself from taking pills has actually been something people pay for as well. (laughs) True. (laughs) You have to laugh because you'll cry otherwise. I know. I kind of, a lot of me feels like crying. I'm just, it's so horrendous. Yeah. Because, yeah, what, what we see is like we're not seeing any huge impact here except a negative one and we're not seeing any awareness in the documentary, at least in these two episodes yet, on what is actually happening in that data. I mean, I just think they shouldn't have made the documentary at all because it's a double-blind study and to kind of keep influencing girls who might very well all be in the you know placebo condition and making them all feel awful is it's ethically questionable. I wonder how they got it all past ethics. Mm. Well, I guess they, they spun a lot of shit, right? Well, they're filling someone full of shit. Unfortunately, <laughs> it's uh, beautiful young people. Yeah. Yeah. Gosh. I mean, I think we could be, there's a lot here that mm. should be done to have protected these girls, particularly, I think, in the recording phase. And I'll bring it back to, I really hope there was some psychological input and at least some support. It was quite distressing to, as a viewer, to watch, you know, and I just, I just love to see conversations around stigma and Mm. stereotyping and the guilt and shame. We're not putting this out into these conversations in in mainstream media. We're not having them. Mm. Constantly pushing conversations around healthism and individualism and responsibility. And and here we are seeing our young people willing to sit on national TV and and pop poo pills. Yeah. Good Lord. Mm. Well, luckily people like you are standing up and having these conversations and I want us to pop this podcast all the way through New Zealand so everyone can hear it. (laughs) Because, yeah, a bit of a different angle on this is what's needed (laughs) because there doesn't seem to be an alternative perspective on this. It just seems to be like literally people are swallowing shit without thinking about it. Yeah. And I think as this area of research has got a long way to go and I think there's some big ethical conversations. I know we chatted about this a bit earlier, just around actually is our microbiome part of us or is it part of the environment? And there's going to be conversations around when you're storing your poo as a, if you're one of those super donors who actually owns your ship now and do we have a ship print? Can it come back to us? Is it like our, our genome? Can it tell people, you know, things like when did we have a course of antibiotics and what for? Or can it be used against us if we continue down this path of good versus bad bacteria, much like our genome is going to have implications in the insurance industry? Are we looking at something like that? So this is big picture stuff we really need to be thinking about, not just jumping straight onto research trials um, Mm. without Mm. giving consideration to it. Yeah, no, that's an excellent point. You know, where does this information is very specific and individual and, you know, could it be like a a digital shit print? And if so, who's got access to it, who owns it, what might be the ramifications? Can insurance companies start denying us healthcare if our microbiome is not diverse enough? Where does this all end? Absolutely. So I think those are certainly some big conversations that I think you know, they need to be tabled. We need to be thinking about them. We need to be having them. But we also need to be, we do need to be mindful. It's medical research, but we need to understand and we need to pursue the research of our microbiome in a way that is not going to label some groups as risky, either based on the diversity of their microflora or the potential for them to develop a disease. Because they, you know, much like the genome in that we're trying to connect certain our genetics to our disease risk we don't want to be doing the same with our microbiome yeah we don't want to use that information to discriminate against people on the basis of health Mm -mm. or health risk yeah absolutely not yeah it is daft thank you so much for coming on and explaining (laughs) exactly how shit it is because it's pretty shit it's just uh, i think the i think the final verdict on this is it's likely And I can't say it is because I haven't got the research paper and I haven't seen the last episode. It's not out yet. But it's likely that this is another overhyped claim 
for a therapeutic effect for fecal microbiome transplants at this point. Yeah, I have a hunch that that that's what the paper will find. I mean, obviously we don't have a crystal ball, but I think too, if and when the paper's published or the documentary results are in, that if people are dropping weight after this intervention, we really need to look closely at how much their lifestyle changes actually interfered with that result and not the poo pill itself because you're seeing evidence in the documentary of people panicking about this and restricting themselves or exercising to try and change their weight. Yep, and that's my episode three. Well, I would like you to keep me posted on the outcome of that and I will talk about it on the next podcast to tell everyone else in the world what happened, the poo cliffhanger kind of thing. Oh, I wish it was one that we didn't have. (laughs) Well, you know, it could end up like Australia's latest Bachelor where, you know, nothing much happens. (laughs) Oh, here's hoping. <laughs> yes. Thank you so much for coming on and talking about this, Jessica. All right. Thanks for having me. It's been great. <laughs> Take care. All right. Thanks, Louise. Thank you, Jess, for a conversation which this week was quite literally about a fresh steaming pile of diet culture bullshit. I mean, you can't make this shit up. It's only in a world that's so completely obsessed with getting rid of body diversity that stuff like this is okay. I will definitely keep you guys posted as to the outcome of this documentary and also the research that the team at the Liggins Institute are doing. I mean, obviously we can kind of have a hunch about where we think it's going to go, but of course we don't have a crystal ball. So I will keep you all posted, but oh my gosh, it was definitely fun to shoot the shit with Jess and I really appreciate her coming on to talk to us all about the uh, state of affairs there in New Zealand. I tell you what, we can't get Sarah Peck in for PM soon enough, right? If you want to find out more about Jess and everything that she does or connect with her, if you are based in New Zealand, you can find her at bodybalancenutrition.co.nz. So that's all the shit for this week. Thank you so much for staying with me during that. And I can't wait to come back in a couple of weeks with another fresh steaming pile of diet culture bullshit, which hopefully won't be quite as fresh as this week's. Until then, trust no one, think critically, push back against diet culture, untrap from the crap. <laughs>